Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for tuning in to this little podcast. I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to what you listen to, and I'm really happy that so many people have spent now almost seven years and over 650 episodes being part of this show. So before I get started, I have to thank one of the two sponsors of this show. Today's episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. And full disclosure, I actually work with Stanton Chase International. All right, so today we're going to have some fun. We're interviewing one of the people, I'm going to pander a little bit to the guest, one of the people in business who I admire the most. Today's guest has been a friend of mine for about five years, and every time I talk to him, I walk away a little smarter and feeling like I had my ass kicked just a little for things I'm not doing right. Today, we're going to talk to Joel Block, and he is the chief dealmaker at Bullseye Capital. And what he does is he predicts companies' future and then prepares them for what to do with it. And he does this by looking at trends and other business activities and then guides them in the right direction. And I know from personal experience, sometimes he does that with uh, fluffy little cotton hands, and sometimes he does it by kicking you in the butt. So, Joel, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Tom, how are you? I'm good. I get to host this podcast. I also, as I was telling you before we started, I now host three podcasts for other organizations where I'm the paid podcast host, and I just never dreamed I could be a professional podcaster, but that's become in the last year plus part of my life, and and I'm having fun. I get to interview seven smart people every single week between all the shows I do. That's pretty awesome. Well, you know, you couldn't dream of it because it didn't exist some years ago, but, (laughs) uh, but here we are now. Absolutely. So, Joel, tell me a really quick little background about Bullseye Capital and, and what all you do. Well, I mean, listen, I, uh, I started in the, in the CPA business. I fell into a venture capital transaction, uh, raised a bunch of money when I was young, built a company, uh, which I grew all over the country and sold to a Fortune 500. And since then, I've been in the venture capital and the hedge fund business and buy and sell companies and raise money. And I'm a professional investor. And I've, and I've always looked forward in time. That's what professional investors do is we look at we look at the future. We think about what's likely to happen. We think about the impact of this thing against that thing. Um, and I've just gotten really good at it and to develop some processes that uh, have been helpful to some other companies. Well, that's why I invited you on the show, because I wanted to talk about what trends are happening right now in business, 2021 and beyond. Let's face it, the world the world, if we were a snow globe, we got turned upside down last year and, and shaken really hard. And so the world of business, you know, everybody says, oh, it's never going to be the same. Some people say, oh, we're going to go back to the same pretty quick. What do you think? Let's look at trends from, uh, there's a couple areas I'd like to talk about. There's there's trends in sort of employment, uh, in recruiting, since I work for with an executive search firm. Uh, there's trends in work from home. Uh, what, what do you see happening in those areas and maybe some other areas you think people need to think about? Well, listen, there, there's, there's a lot, and we'll, we'll get to both of those. We'll talk about both those, but uh, there, there is a lot, uh, a lot of changes happened. You know, 
so we all were locked down for a year, year and a quarter, you know, it's kind of getting close to a year and a half. And it's, uh, things change in that period of time. People, their patterns change, their attitudes change, just the way that we look at the world. A year and a half is a long time. And it's a long time not to go to movies. And, you know, and we like movies, but maybe there's another way to go to movies, you know, like, like on streaming. And, you know, so basically what this did is this kind of created like a little crack for some new opportunities to sneak into our life and ask us to kind of think about maybe we don't need the old way. And movie theaters are a great example of this. I mean, movie theaters are something from the thirties and forties, you know, a long time ago. And, and, you know, we enjoyed movies and it was fun to go and everything, but you know, listen, maybe there's another way to go to movie theater, you know, to go to the movies. Maybe you don't have to go through, Uh, you know, to sit in a theater. And, you know, the theaters had a really solid lock on the studios for years and years. And all of a sudden the pandemic comes, the studios can't release movies into, into movie theaters. So they said, well, we have no choice. We'll go to Amazon. We'll go to Netflix, whatever. We'll go to these different outlets. And, and the the movie theater owners are are upset about it, as you can understand. And now that they've done that, and we're kind of used to seeing movies on Amazon and we pay 20 bucks for the whole family to sit and watch a movie. Uh, you know, I'm, I, some movies are better in a theater for sure, but but not all movies are better in a theater. And so, you know, if if uh, you know fifty or seventy percent, five percent of the time you you watch in your den or your living room or your theater room or where, whatever you have in your house, uh, and you go to the movies once in a while, you know what? Uh, the world has changed, behavior has changed, and and a lot of behaviors like that have changed in our life. That's one tiny example that affects an industry. Uh, the hotel industry, the the real estate industry, so many industries have changed, and we can uh, we can take a look at a couple of them here together. Well, let's take a look at those types of things in business that are that are changing that are going to in, in impact most people out there. So, what are some so what are some of these trends when it comes to are people going to go back to the office? What what are we talking about? Well, you know, uh, the office. It's a funny thing with the office. Uh, you know, keep in mind who who wants to go to the office. You know, young people certainly want to go to the office. Young people, uh, they they make friends there. They may meet a spouse there. You know, I mean, I mean, lots of things happen at the office. Uh, but older people, uh, they may have to care for pets or children or uh, parents or grandparents, and uh, so their needs are totally different. Maybe they don't want to go to the office. The other thing is, you know, you got to remember that work from home uh, is a concept that requires a lot of maturity. You have to be a rather mature person to succeed in, in being a self-starter and being disciplined. And that may not necessarily be the case for a young person who's just getting started, who needs some training. They need to be around other people. Um, the other thing is that really a certain kind of jobs, blue-collar jobs, can't really be done uh, in a, in a, you know, in a, from home. You have to go somewhere. But you know, there's, just, there's a lot of institutions in the United States and, and around the world uh, that are are old and broken, and it's just time for some change. But we don't notice them until something like this happens. So, for example, uh, the penal system in the United States is it's broken. There's a lot of anger about the penal system. There's a lot of anger about the bail system that it's unfair, unfairly penalizes certain people. But just think, it's these systems are six or eight hundred years old, <laughs> and we just keep doing them. The way we educate children is, is uh, you know, hundreds of years old. And, and we basically line children up in, in, in rows. 
like we did hundreds of years ago, and we train them to be factory workers. That's kind of what schools were designed to do. And that's sort of what uh, we're still doing, but we don't live in a world where we need to produce factory workers like we did a hundred years ago. And, and so uh, we need to reassess uh, enormous numbers of systems. Do we need a 40 hour work week? Do we all need to be together in the same room to work and, and do what we do? Well, in an assembly line, uh, you know, you kind of do need to have people together. But if you have the kind of work where, you know, you, you contribute your work and put it in the pot and everybody else puts it in and then it doesn't matter so much where you work from, uh, the options are open. So we'll, we'll talk about some specifics, but just understand that there's lots of uh, systems in our world that need to be reexamined and we take them for granted. It's always been this way. If you ever have something that you say it's always been this way or that's just the way it is. That's a system that we need to take a hard look at. And if you catch yourself saying that, uh, that's just the way it is, uh, then it's something that would probably well to, uh, to examine. And that's true about whether it's inside your company or inside our country. Well, what are some of your predictions? Let's look at employment. What are some of your predictions about what's okay. going to happen on the job so, front? Okay, so let's, uh, you know, first of all, um, the job market in general uh, is strong. I mean, companies are really strong. What happened during the pandemic was uh, it, it was it was a uh, an external thing. It wasn't like in two thousand seven, eight, and nine where there were fundamental things about the banking system that were terrible and the whole economy imploded because of bad decisions over many years. This was something that came from the outside. We had a robust economy, and and understand uh, for many reasons. People ask about the stock market. We'll come back and talk about the uh, the jobs and the things, but let's just look at the uh, the economy for a second, so we can talk and get some understanding about it. Why is the stock market so high? You can't compare the stock market today to the stock market from twenty years ago, because Wall Street did something very smart along the way, and and that was that they went to the big companies and and they said to them, "Listen, we want you to get off of this transactional." you know, roller coaster, treadmill style revenue machine that you have. And we want you to do something that's more predictable. And if you'll do something more predictable, we'll reward you with a better stock multiple and we'll increase your stock price. It will be good for your shareholders. And so they started to do that. And the, the first company that did it was say Microsoft, They're probably the most famous company, maybe not the first, but Microsoft, uh, they, they used to be in the business of selling software. And, and, you know, it surprises people. They're not in that business anymore. They've gotten out of that business. What business are they in now? They're in the business of renting software instead of selling it. And so uh, what, they, what they did is they, in 2011, uh, decided, hey, you know what? Uh, we have this software. We sell it through, uh, you know, Staples and Office Depot and these other kind of stores. Um, and we never know how much we're going to sell because it depends on what it is. And so uh, what Wall Street got them to do, or got them to think about doing, was they they created this new thing called uh, Office 365. So they converted their office into Office 365. And instead of paying for it uh, once every 10 years, like I used to do, and maybe you used to do, and give a copy to your kids for free or whatever, you know, you weren't supposed to do, but you did it anyway. Microsoft said, look, we're going to give you the best product we have, and you're going to pay us 100 bucks a year, and that's it. And then you every year, you're just constantly getting it, and it's a subscription product. And, you know, 2012, 13, 14, it didn't catch on. It didn't catch on for a long time. But all of a sudden, around 14, 15, that thing just takes off like a rocket. 
And between 2015 and, and now, you know, the stock market's up, you know, I don't know, 30 to 50%, you know, depending on what numbers you look at. But Microsoft is up six or 700%. And you got to ask, is that a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. And many, many companies have done the same thing. So one of the big trends, by the way, here is, is subscription revenue. And I don't know about you, Tom, uh, but 10 years ago, I had zero recurring charges on my credit card. And now I've got about 50 of them every month. I got Netflix and Hulu and I, you know, yeah. I got all the. And, and it seems when you get that fraud where they have to cancel your credit card that happens to everybody every now and then. That's you just the have, only way you can make it stop. And you have to go back to zero and like go through, like like you said, 40 different things you subscribe yeah, to. It, it, the only way you can get out of some of these charges is by canceling your credit card. But, but anyway, so uh, these subscription things. So the stock market and the economy are fundamentally different because we're now based on a subscription economy, not a transactional economy. And that makes us stronger. So when people say the stock market's too high, it's not too high. The stock market is where it belongs because uh, the economy is different, the multiples are different, uh, the revenue is more dependable, et cetera. So first of all, before we get into any trends and anything else, let's just say that the economy is strong, the pandemic comes in and just decimates us for, for a year and a half and we're still having problems because there's logistics and people, it's hard to get your workers back and so forth. But let's talk about um, work from home. Cause I, I know you want to go there. That's, that's the thing. Everybody I, wants to know is, is that, everybody is that wants really, to know. is that really the future? That's real. That really is the future for some, for some businesses, for some people. So let's say for office workers and let's talk about what the impact of these things is. So let's say that, um, you know, 50% of the people end up going back to work in big cities, uh, downtown LA, downtown San Francisco, downtown Austin. I mean, you're a technology-based environment. Uh, You know, California is a technology-based environment. And so there are lots of jobs that just don't need to come back into an office. Uh, You know, there, there are some people that may want to, or they may say, listen, we want you to come in two days a week or three days a week, and then there'll be another team that'll come in the other two days. But if half the people are coming into the office. Let's think about the impact of some of these things. So first thing is you got to drive to work. That, that might be less people driving to work. You know, on the freeways in Los Angeles, by the way, it doesn't appear this way yet, but but I, I believe that it will thin out a little more. Yeah, the, so, the Austin traffic that went down to very light is now getting very heavy again. Yeah, it's getting heavy. And you guys have such a bad, the I-35 corridor is so bad there that uh, even if there was no cars, it would still be bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... So let's think about who wins and who loses if there's less traffic. Number one, uh, oil companies. So as a professional investor, I think to myself, and I go through these kinds of exercises, do I want to invest in these kinds of companies? This is what we think about as, as investors. Would I invest in oil? Well, this isn't energy. We need energy. But oil in cars and airplanes is probably going to be declining because, you know, there's going to be less utilization of these uh, resources. We still need other things, and and we're kind of moving in the direction away from oil. So, for example, in a losing situation, the oil. Who else loses in a situation where there's less traffic? How about cities and governments? Less traffic tickets, less parking tickets, less sales tax on those parking lots, you know, that they run in the city and everything. Uh, Parking meters, you know, less. And let's say there's 50% of the people now that are in downtown uh, areas, well, these companies are going to need only half as much space. 
there is so much space available for sublet in New York City. I mean, it's just, it's a massive amount of space. So there are companies that are coming in that wouldn't have ever been able to go to New York City. And they'll say, hey, we'll take some space on a sublet. And they're, they're doing that. But these giant companies are moving, uh, you know, 50 floors of workers out of New York City and, and into New Jersey. And they're just going to keep their most important three or four floors of people in the city that need to have important appointments uh, in that area. And everybody else is going to go away. Again, who wins and who loses? Well, the company wins by moving it out, but the real estate landlords uh, lose. Think about the cities. I'm very concerned about these cities and the cities and governments haven't really thought a lot about this, but you know, like New York city, they get a 10% payroll tax from all these people gone. You know, who's going to pay for the subways? Who's going to pay for all these uh, guys? Who's going to buy hot dogs from the hot dog man on the corner? I was just going to say the pretzel guy loses if you take a lot of people out. I mean, exactly. So joking aside, I mean, this is really serious. I mean, and it's, this isn't a bad thing, by the way, but you know, the world is changing. We don't need to be in a static environment, uh, you know, but what we do is as human beings is we build infrastructure, and 100 years ago, they built the subway system. Once you lay down a sidewalk and you put it in a building, it's going to be there a long time. It's not a very flexible infrastructure, more like a computer system, which can be readjusted and changed and so forth. So uh, back to work from home, you know, so not only are companies going to have to change their footprint in their downtown areas and all the things that are going to happen, but uh, these companies are, are making other adjustments too. It's going to have an impact on restaurants that are in downtown areas on real estate in downtown areas. Uh, you know, so, you know, what I tell, and I, I, I run a group of, of other hedge fund managers. I run a mastermind of these people. And, you know, one of the things that we're telling them is, you know, be very careful because, you know, in a buy low, sell high, this is kind of a buy low environment for commercial real estate for, uh, for residential real estate. It's the opposite. And here's why, because now people don't have to necessarily go to work. And let's say that uh, they're not going to go to the gym anymore and they want to build a gym in their house or they want to put in a room for grandma in their house. Well, they may need to move uh, away from the urban areas, past the suburban areas, into the rural areas, into areas that are really too far to drive to a big city. But if you don't have to drive to a big city, you can get a six-bedroom house, a real, real big house that you couldn't ever get in a city to take care of all the things you want to take care of for half the price that you paid for the house in the city. And, and so it just really uh, opens the door. And this is being uh, borne out in, in the real estate business. Uh, residential real estate is swamp. People are buying houses at a frenetic pace. Uh, they're reorganizing. Uh, it has also something that the real estate markets have something to do with, uh, with the fact that uh, cities are really doing a poor job of managing their homeless populations and some of their, some of the politics and people are really uh, escaping. In the 1970s, it was white flight. It's not, it's not a racial thing anymore. Now it's really getting away from the politics of homelessness and uh, debris and dirt and filth and all the other kinds of things that people just are very unhappy about. So they're moving far away. And again, you know, this is another thing. So, uh, you know, who wins and who loses? Real estate brokers are winning. But here's an interesting thing now for uh, your, your sponsor, Stanton Chase. So let me give you a little piece of uh, intel for them. If people are moving 100 miles away from cities, and cities are now allowing people to work asynchronously uh, away from the office, wherever they want to work, and as long as they you know, get their work done, 
all of a sudden, a, a company in Austin no longer has to look 20 miles around Austin for the best person. They now have the entire United States of America available to them. And whereas you used to have a hard time, let's say, getting an employee in New York to move to, you know, I don't know, some middle west, uh, some uh, middle country, a middle part of the country city, or the spouse didn't want to go there because they don't want to make all new friends or whatever, whatever the reason is, all of a sudden that person, uh, the best person you can put your finger on, can now work for your company from far away. So I think that there's going to be a flurry of uh, employment activity and people shuffling up and realigning themselves So again, what's the theme? The theme seems to be realignment. It seems to be that we're changing. The systems in the country are changing. The way we do some things are changing. The possibilities are changing. And and everything is is, is moving around. And so uh, that's excellent news for employees. It's, it's, It's very good news for employers. It's especially good news for brokers of employees and, 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 uh, and companies, uh, you know, and brokers always win. I mean, because they're always in the middle, you know, that's kind of the deal. It's like, you're the house in, in, in uh, Las Vegas, but that's, that's kind of where we're going. And, you know, those are some of the big issues that I notice and that we, uh, we kind of see on the horizon. So who's going to get burned by this realignment? Because let's face it, there's, there's always somebody when there's a shift who has to be, you know, retrained and relocated or something. Some, it, it yeah. can't be, can't be well, wine and I'll, roses for everybody. No, well, I'll tell you, it's not going to be. And I'll tell you what's going to happen is that companies and people with substandard skills, cultures, and, you know, if they don't up their game, they're, they're going to be out of the game. Um, the, the requirements for employees goes higher and higher. So some companies, uh, you know, do a really good job of uh, raising the bar for other companies. And, you know, for example, uh, Amazon comes to mind with this. You know, they've, they've just, they've raised the bar to a new level for what we expect. All companies have to raise the bar. I mean, companies are made up of the, uh, of the resumes of their entire staff, of who, all their people. That's the collective resume is the corporation. And they need to be focused on doing a, a spectacular above and beyond job because, uh, companies and employees, both on both sides, have more choices than ever. So the best people are going to be winners. The less than best people are going to struggle. And you better do your best to be your best or you're going to struggle. And that's, uh, that's, that's an easy thing to see. Uh, other companies, uh, you know, have done a good job of reinventing themselves. Uh, AT&T has always been a company that's done a good job of reinventing themselves. It didn't work out this last iteration because now they're having all these problems. They tried to get into the media and the content business, and that just really wasn't meant to be for them for many reasons. But, you know, companies have to think about reinvention. They have to think about strategic issues out of the box. And, uh, you know, uh, and Tom, when I work with companies, which is really all about disruption and disruptive innovation, I mean, I'm not talking about making small changes and just kind of tweaks. I'm talking about sometimes companies really have to think about some new and different ideas, go in some different directions. Uh, And there's lots of ways that they can uh, disrupt their competitors' future. They can get in front of their competitors in in a powerful way, and they need to do that. Uh, But the world has changed a lot, and people that refuse to change, don't want to change, can't change, uh, they're going to be left behind, and it's going to be sad for them. 
So what do you think happens to the meetings business and the hospitality and travel business, both for business yeah. and for, for social travel? What do you think happens in that world to hotels, to conference centers, to people like me who make you know a huge part of their living speaking? What happens there? Okay. Um, I think hotels are going to be big losers. I think, uh, I think the airlines are going to do fine. I think that the speakers are going to do fine. And here's, and here's why. Here's what I think is going to happen. Companies have realized that Zoom is a reasonable alternative for a way for people to get together. It may not be the best way, but it's a reasonable alternative. So what I believe they're going to do is the people who plan meetings are going to say, listen, we need to save a few dollars. We need to make up for lost time. We didn't have our best year last year. Maybe we did have our best year last year, but we need to make up for lost time. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to have our junior people uh, meet on Zoom, and we're going to have our senior people meet in person. So for speakers, here's what that means. It means that lower level speakers are going to be doing a lot more Zoom work. And it means that higher level speakers are going to be getting a lot more in-person gigs with higher level audiences. And, it, and, and I also believe that these conferences are not going to go for four or five days anymore. I think they're going to be shorter conferences because what's going to happen is they'll probably say, look, we're going to do a day, in advance, a day before. So I don't know, maybe the month before we have one day. Then we're going to have a two-day conference instead of a four-day conference. And then a month later, we're going to have a follow-up for a day. So we're still going to meet for four days, but only two of them are going to be in person. So half as many people are going to, uh, are going to go for half as much time. I think the hotels are really going to suffer. And I'm not talking about in the next couple of months because there's a lot of pent-up demand. There's a lot of people that want to just go. But when this all calms down and businesses start to kind of get back in their rhythm, uh, I really believe that uh, companies are going to They've got a new way to save some money. I'll give you an example, Tom. Me personally, I put on a conference twice a year. And I'm really seriously thinking about never doing this conference live again. Not because I don't love it live. I actually prefer to do it live. But I think the learning is so much better uh, on Zoom because we've broken it up into six weeks of uh, kind of that we've changed the curriculum around and made it. It's a stronger program the way that it is. There are things about it that I prefer live, like, uh, the camaraderie, the bonding, and you know, and and we'll have to find another way to do that. So that leads me into another question because I've been having a lot of debates with people: is does human connection still matter in a world where we're going to try and do more and more things by Zoom? My argument is that when you get a relationship to where people really build, you know, that camaraderie and that trust, I think it's more golden now and in the future than it's ever been. And I also think it's going to be a little harder to get to that. What do you think? I think, I think that we're social creatures and we need socialization. We need bonding. Uh, you know, there, there are things about zoom. Uh, like I can't, uh, I can't see what you're doing with your hands. Are, you know, are you crossing your fingers? You know, I, mean, I don't know what you're doing. You know, I can't, there's a lot of things that I can't tell. There's a lot of body language I can't read, uh, you know, when we're talking on zoom. So uh, the in-person thing is very important. It's especially important at a high level. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's short-sighted for companies to leave their junior people behind and just give them Zoom training uh, because young people, you know, need to kind of be brought in at an early age and, and kind of be socialized the way that a company wants them to be. Uh, but uh, Zoom has limitations. Uh, you know, Zoom is probably not the best platform for establishing a relationship, but it's a good way to maintain a relationship. It's, better, it's a better way to maintain a relationship than, than a phone call but it may not be the best way to initiate or create a relationship. So, you know, conferences serve many purposes. I just think that uh, whether it's uh, smart or not smart, companies are going to try to save money 
and they're going to bifurcate their audiences and only bring certain people live and certain people are going to go on Zoom and, uh, you know, the lower level people will get training while the, the higher level people will get exposed to ideas and people. Uh, you know, uh, that may not be the best idea, but that's, I think, what's probably going to happen. No, and I, I actually agree. I think there is going to be, I, I don't think we're going to have as many hybrid meetings as people are suggesting, where every meeting has a live component and a broadcast. But I think we're going to see a lot of meetings where there's virtual meetings and there's in-person meetings. And I think it's going to all be based on what is that agenda for that meeting and can it be handled virtually or is it more of that one where we need to have that camaraderie and that social being? And then they're not going to broadcast it because if you're not coming, you don't get to get this meeting. I think there's going to be yeah, you know, a little FOMO. I, I haven't, you know, like, like you, I, I see a lot of meetings. I haven't really seen a, uh, a hybrid that's been done very well. And, and, and that's not a criticism. That's we're all learning. You know, there, there's learning happening. And we just I don't think anybody has cracked the code on it just yet. Not only that, it's very expensive to do it twice. You're basically feeding a group of people and you've got an AV crew and, uh, you know, and hotels charge a lot of money for, uh, for bandwidth. And it just, it ends up being a very complicated process to do the thing twice. And I don't think that the studio audience, the uh, home audience gets the same uh, benefit as the studio audience anyway. So uh, I, I really think that uh, this is going to pan out in a different way like you do. So, Joel, we just have a couple minutes left. So let's go back to the business world and the economy in general. Any last predictions, anything you think people really need to hear? Well, uh, I think people need to be uh, open-minded to to what's new and what's coming. They need to be open to reimagining things, reimagine things for your company. Uh, I think we need to reimagine some things for this country. Uh, I think we need to reimagine ways that we can all get along better. Uh, that certainly, uh, you know, is, is happening under our feet right this second. There, there are people who just do not have uh, equal access to uh, things that help them be successful, uh, you know, and, and we need to do better as a country. Uh, I also think from an investment point of view, I'm, I'm particularly uh, interested in cryptocurrencies. And that's that's a discussion for a different show. We'll bring you but, back. We'll bring you back and do a whole deep dive on crypto. <laughs> but you know what? I think if people started to understand what that was, I think that they would uh, they would understand it more. Com- countries and governments don't like it. You can understand they want to control the currency, and this is an uncontrollable situation. So unless the government can get their arms around it somehow, uh, which is unclear about how they're going to do that. Um, but it, uh, it solves a lot of problems and it addresses a lot of issues. Uh, right now, of course, the first people are probably terrorists and criminals that are uh, benefiting from it. But ultimately, it's, uh, it's becoming something that's uh, more widespread and, and I believe it will continue so. So, Joel Block, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Well, a couple things. First, if, if somebody wants to uh, get the trend report that we produce, every year we produce a trend report for our clients. Uh, if somebody wants to get it, uh, for themselves, for friends of our clients or friends of our, our company like yours, Tom, uh, just take out your mobile phone, put in the number 72,000 and type in the word trend. And so the word trend to 72,000 and our system will send it out to you. It's free. Um, second thing is, uh, you know, you can reach me at joelblock.com. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find on uh, all the social media outlets. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. Uh, I learned something every time we talked. Today was no exception. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I was so enthralled. I never did thank the other sponsor of this episode. But if you're a regular listener, you know that every episode for almost the whole life of the show has been brought to you by Podfly Productions. They are the team that produces 
my podcast and several of the others that I work with. And I will tell you what, they're one of the best vendors I've ever worked with. So if you want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things because they give you a discount if you say that I sent you. And that's kind of cool. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody who's making waves in business like Joel Block. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your business muscles. Make sure your career ladder is against the correct wall because you don't want to climb a career ladder to find out you're in the wrong place. And while you're out there doing all this stuff, have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.